0: Again, quick recap just to kind of catch us up to, as you guys kind of know already, um, as Peter has written this, and I think what I was even thinking about last night as I was looking into this is, um, going back over my notes and everything, it was just a reminder too is, I think for us to remember that when when these men wrote these books with these letters, we call them books, when they wrote these letters... um, their intention, like in this one, was to encourage a church that was under persecution or was going to be facing persecution as well, you know, if they hadn't already. Um, and to keep that in mind, too, as you read these, that there's, there's a context behind it as well, too. Um, that it's, it was a letter that he had written to them um, for encouragement, um, I don't know if Peter ever thought that someday, 2,000 years from now, that there would be commentaries written on his, his letter that he had written, that people would be breaking down the Greek and, 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 and trying to study every single little word. And what did he mean by the there? And there's buts, you know, and all the boys in the fifth grade class are going to laugh and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he, that wasn't the purpose behind there. But I think, again, listening and thinking about it, it was just it was a pastor's heart. And And as, as I was thinking about it, going all the way back to the first week when we we talked about who Peter was and going into the character of where Peter started to where he is at at this point in his life, and, and the encouragement for us is, is some of us maybe are have a very good understanding of where Peter started. and Peter started he was he was sincerely looking for the Messiah, he and his brother. you know they they had, they had, they had watched Jesus, they understood who Jesus was and and then when he came to them that day on the beach, that they, when he said, follow me, they were, they were ready to drop their nets. And they were ready to do that and follow him. And then for the next three years, that's what they did is they followed Christ and then through the ups and the downs of the ministry. And Peter, you know, so many times we, we laugh and we joke around about his, you know, putting his, his foot in his mouth so many times, but, but Peter was a leader though. And Peter was, sometimes you don't, in life, you don't make mistakes if you never take a chance to do something. Okay, so in, in your life, even if you're here this evening, and again, this, I haven't even hit my notes yet at this point, but it's a point that in your life, you have to take some chances sometimes when you're following the Lord. And sometimes that means that you're going to get out on a boat and, and water because you think that it's Christ that's calling you, and, and, and you walk out there, and then all of a sudden you get a little nervous, and we laugh that, oh, he lost faith. And, but, but Peter walked on the water. And the amazing thing then, too, is the next word is he cries out, Jesus, help me, help me. And the next verse, it's Christ lifting his hand down to pick him up. Again, in your life, if you're seeking the Lord and you're, you're trying to do the things that are right, and you're, Lord, where, where do you want me to go in this situation? Or what is it that you're trying to do with my life? There, there might be times where it's not just crystal clear exactly where you go. And the Lord is not going to punish you for the fact that you're seeking him and truly trying to follow what he wants you to do in your life. Again, Peter is an example of that. And then he, he, he goes through that time and then he, he makes the, the critical, you know, we look at it and just, I can't imagine what Peter was feeling when he denied Jesus for that third time. And then Jesus looked at him in the face. And I'm sure those are tears that very few of us probably have ever shed in our lives. And he sat there and he just was, his stomach was turned, and his his whole body and his life was just a wreck at that moment that Christ had said that I was going to do this. And not even 10 hours later, I've denied him three times like he said I would. And then he looked at me with those eyes. And then you see, just 40 days later, here's this man restored back to Christ. And he's leading thousands to the Lord. Don't take every time that you do something wrong, don't take every mistake that you make in your life and make it a a flag of that's who that I am or that I'm incapable of doing something because I did this. You know, again, God is faithful and the Lord is there. And I think then as we pick up a letter like this and we've read it and studied it for the last two and a half months and we've, we've gone into the Greek and we've learned what these different words mean and we, we studied and we, we, we try to figure out what, what Peter's really thinking and everybody disagrees on certain areas of Scripture of what he's talking about and, well, I think he's talking about this. and I, We don't know, but what I do know is that this is a man with a pastor's heart that is reaching out to churches that need encouragement. And in our life, we can get so stuck into either I've made a mistake or this person's made a mistake and we're going to ostracize them or we're going to not allow them to have chances other than just coming alongside and how do I encourage that person and how do I allow them and help them to be able to take those next steps where they are in their life and their journey with the Lord. That Christian, I think, is the overall feeling of what this pastor here, Peter, is now writing to this church. And as we've continued to study this for the last several months, and we, we, we did a quick recap every time of just reassuring them that they're elected. And you tonight are elected. You've been chosen by God. You are saved. If you're a Christian tonight, you've been elected and you're saved. Your, your destination is heaven. We have a living hope in Christ, and we know he's alive because we just celebrated Easter and there's an empty tomb. There's no bones that we go to worship, but there's no bones that we go to, to stack down and say that this is where our Savior is, is, is laying because he's not there. He's in heaven. We've been challenged to be holy. And, and, I, and I really sincerely hope that over the last six, seven weeks, as I've just continued to, to, to talk about this, that there are areas in your life that you're not struggling with anymore. Or that if you were struggling with them, that you're, you're making a conscious effort to try to correct those things in your life. If there are struggles or there's things that I shouldn't be watching or there's things I shouldn't be drinking or there's things that I shouldn't be saying, that, that you are actively trying to, to get rid of those things within your life because I want to be holy for my Savior. I want to be holy for my God. Because he's asked me to do that, and I want to be a right representation for him when I walk into this, this dirty world that I walk into. He's asked us to submit, and he's asked us to submit to, for him. Not that I'm actually submitting because I like that person and I'm willing to do it, but I ultimately I submit because I submit for God to whatever authorities that he's placed. We understand that when we live for God, that we will suffer. suffer. Peter's encouraged us that through all of these points, that again, it's to remain heavenly focused and not focused on the things of the world. Again, Peter, of anybody, could have just stayed focused on, on the things of this world and the failures that I've committed in my life and never moved past that. But Peter, through his restoration with the Lord and and being forgiven forgiven on that beach and and having that conversation with Christ, he was able to move forward and had the heavenly focus of really what is the purpose that I have in life. And then I pray that you, even if it's this evening, we get done with service and you're like, man, there's just just something that's still going on in my heart. There's just something that's stirring my heart. Then, Then stay. Allow us to pray with you. Again, it's not us that's going to fix anything in your life. It's, I've still got the same problems that you do. I mean, I've got issues in my life as well, too. And it's not a point where a man can come alongside of you or a, another woman can come alongside of you and pray with you and just fix everything. But, but who, do we, who are we reaching out to? We're reaching out to the Lord. And as we continue to point you to the Lord and we continue to point you to him because God has got the answers for you in your life. If we can come alongside of you just like Peter is and, and help you to see that, and help you to continue to trust in the Lord, well, then that's, that's the job that we have. And then tonight we're going to move into it, and, and Peter's going to close his, his letter. And these are a pastor's final word to these churches in, in Turkey. And I think the encouragement for the local church is to, to make sure your structure within the local church is strong. He's going to continue to talk about Paul has a big thing on that as well, too. As you go into a city, he would make sure that there was elders that were appointed, that there was leadership that's there. Because, again, if you're going to go into war, you have to have structure. You have to have an understanding of who's in charge and what everybody's responsibilities are. And, Christian, whether you want to admit it or not, that, that we're in a war. And It's not with flesh and blood, but it's, it's through the Spirit. And again, as you come into a church, it's nice to know that there is structure and there's order and there's an understanding of of how things are run. And then again, it's not for man's glory. Again, it's for the Lord's glory. And this is so important as they come under attack from the enemy that they don't even know that it's coming possibly. But Peter understands again that it's so important for them to have that. And then that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. So he moves into first ver- the first verse here, and he says to the to the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder, and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also share will share in the glory to be revealed. And the first thing tonight that we have is 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 to the elders among you, and and probably for some of us in this e- this evening is well what what truly is an elder. An elder, will, the word in the Greek, and jokingly we go to the Greek to find out this is, but it's, it's presbyteros and it's, it's, it's those who preside over the assemblies. So in your current church that we have here, there are elders that we have, and there's a group of them, and your, their names are on the back of the pamphlets, the, the flyers that we get, and so you can call them at any time, you know, in the middle of the night, or something like that. I'm sure they would appreciate that. Um, so you can call them, and, and elders has qualifications that they must have. It's not just because they're old. Because we have several that are not old. I would never call any of them old, first of all, because I want to come back up here at some point. But it's a point where it doesn't have to be that it's an age thing, but it's more important. It's it's an understanding that they have an age with the Lord is kind of what the more important thing is here. We can take a look at a couple places in the Bible, and the Bible breaks it down for us. Typically, we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, but I've chosen to go to Titus tonight um, because I don't think Titus gets enough credit, and everybody always goes to 1 Timothy, so I thought we would go to Titus tonight. So Titus, in the first chapter, starting in verse 5, it says, The reason I left you in Crete, um, talking to Titus, Paul speaking to him, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So again, Paul's telling, telling Titus, hey, look, this is what I want you to do. Every time that you go into, again, we need to set up an, an, uh, an elders and we need to set up a, a leadership within those churches so that we can be able to then go to the next church and be able to continue on the gospel. The desire was not to just stay there for those. Paul would only have been in one church for the rest of his life. Timothy would have only been in one church. Titus would have only been in one church. You need to set up leadership, and we need to move to the next one so that we can move to the next city to get going as far as spreading the gospel. But those elders must be, and we move into verse 6, and it says, "...an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife." A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Verse 80 says, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, and he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message As it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And again, it doesn't matter that you're the age as far as who an elder is. But I would say, as I have gotten older in life, I understand that there's a value in age. Okay, again, there's a value in age because there's so many times where I enjoy just being around older people. Okay, I won't say name names and, and numbers and stuff like that, but. There's such value in that and because there's such wisdom in what they say and the experiences that they've had. And then especially when they're then able to talk about it in, in light of what Christ has done in their life through those times. So as we go over each of these qualifications in verse 6, it says blameless is, is not perfect. Okay, They're not sinless. Blameless means unaccused. It means above reproach. It's nothing to take hold of. If somebody was to challenge them on something, there'd be like nothing that they could grab or take hold of. Because really, that they lived a life that was blameless. He's faithful to his wife, and it doesn't mean that this person is married. By the way, it just means that he's been faithful to his wife. Um, for me personally, I got married at 29. That would have been ancient back in those days. Um, but it's a point of that. But if you're not able to be able to be faithful to your wife, then you're probably not going to be able to be faithful to your God. Children believe and are not wild and disobedient. He must be able to show his ability to give counsel and to lead in a church through the display of what is happening within his, whole, his own household. If his own household is going crazy and it's just nuts all the time, then to be able to think that he's going to be able to leave that and not have any kind of understanding and control there, then to be able to walk into a church setting and then be able to do that, then, then that really wouldn't be able to work as well, too. Verse 7 is not overbearing, he's, he's not self pleasing, he's not selfish. Quick tempered, we know what that is. Not given to drunkenness, hopefully, you know what that is. He's not violent. He's not given to blows, is what one of the versions says. Again, you can't spread the love of Jesus while you're beating everybody up. I mean, it just doesn't kind of go together. I mean, there's some people that you may want to, but you're, you really shouldn't do that if you're going to share the love of Jesus Christ. You're not pursuing dishonest gain. Again, you're not out there, and, and unfortunately, we see that a lot within not a lot, we use that word too much as well too, we see that in some churches today where really the desire is is monetary. You know, that those pastors or those churches are really looking to just line their pockets with more cash within their own stuff so they can have their own private jets or their Rolls Royces or their Jaguars or things like that. And um, that's not what God has called us to do. I mean, we're going to make certain sacrifices in our life. If you desire to be within the ministry, then you know that there's certain things That you probably just won't have. Why? Because that's not the importance within my life. If my importance is for more people to realize who Jesus Christ is, well, then I would look at that, whatever that is, and realize that's a lot of money that I could then invest into the ministry. And my desire then would be how do I get that money to somebody to be able to help them to continue to minister? So, not pursuing dishonest gain, then I'm not ripping off the church to be able to do that. Verse 8 is hospitable. We talked about that last week as well, too. But you're, you're generous to guests, Loves what is good. You're virtuous, self-controlled. You're upright. You're holy and you're disciplined. You're performing one's duties towards God. You're, you're free from wickedness. Again, living in a lifestyle that, that would not be able to have anybody be able to claim that you're doing something different. And in verse 9, it says we must know the Scripture. Again, this is why the, the, the elder part doesn't mean that you're just older, Okay, it means that you have a, a long-standing go as far as you have an understanding as far as the, what the Scriptures say. And quite honestly, if it would, the Scriptures say that if, if something were to happen to the pastor, well then the elders would be then the ones responsible to be able to bring the Word of God to the congregation. So this seems reasonable requirements for someone who's seeking a leadership role. I think we would all agree with that. But the interesting thing to me is, shouldn't we all have that same requirements within our own life? again, it's going back to what we were talking about, trying to be holy within our life. These should all be represented within all of our lives. I mean, there's not a thing on here that I look at and go, well, no, if I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm allowed to be quick-tempered. It's not one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? I mean, I can't have that and be part of the, to be a Christian. I, I mean, you can be a Christian, but you're, you're having errors in your life. I have to be self-controlled. I have to be upright. I have to be holy. I have to be disciplined. Those are all things that we need to continue to work in our life to be able to do. This. So we all should have these qualifications even within our own life. So going back to 1 Peter verse one, it says, "To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed." And I think it's interesting again too that it, the elders among you is it, that Peter appeals to them. And first of all that. that he appeals to them. It's to it's, it's, it's ask earnestly. It's, it, the King James actually has a pretty good word. It says exhort. And Peter's asking them to listen to his request. He's asking them to listen to his request. As trouble is coming, he says, I, I need your church to be prepared because there, there is trouble that's coming. And then Paul, Peter, in just humbleness here, he says, I, I'm a fellow elder. Oh, this is humbleness on Peter's part. Peter might be a fellow elder, but he is one of the twelve. Like there's only twelve. And and he's one of them. So just the fact that Peter is writing them a letter would have just been like news within all of the area that we got a letter from Peter, one of the twelve. So I mean the humbleness that Peter has is he's he's sitting there saying, Look, I, I'm with you. I'm just a fellow elder. I mean, that would have been like back in the day, like Pastor Chuck would have written a letter to Pastor Carl here and said, Hey, just a fellow pastor writing you a letter. I mean, Pastor Carl would have been like, I got a letter from Pastor Chuck today. Can you believe that? And this is the things that he's asking me to do. I mean, again, Chuck would have been like, look, I'm just another guy. You know, the the ground's level at the cross and we're all the same. But all of us would have been like, you got a letter from Pastor Chuck. That's pretty incredible. Well, this is Peter. And for this church to receive this and know that he had such high standards and high regard within the church, they would have taken this and they would have been like, this is incredible news that we got an actual letter from him the humbleness of Peter as he continues to write them. He says, I was a witness of Christ's sufferings. Peter was there. We talked about that. We learned about that in the book of Luke when Pastor Carl was going over. Peter says in Acts 10, 10, verse 39, he says, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. Peter says, I was there. I was a witness. I saw everything that happened. And we'll share in the glory to be revealed. Just like us. Someday we're going to share in that, that glory. Someday, when again, as we talk about previously, as, as he pulls back the veil and, and Jesus comes back onto the scene, we're going to share within that glory. Just like Peter will. There's not going to be a specialness between the two. We're, we're all sinners. And it's not going to be like when we get to heaven, there's going to be like Pastor Chuck up there and Pastor, Pastor Billy Graham up there. And then like, we're going to be way down here like trying to get you know, just kind of like a little view or something like that. We're all in heaven. Nobody is any greater than anybody else outside of the Son of God and Jesus. Verse 2, he moves on. It says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, and not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So Peter calls these elders now to serve. He calls them to be shepherds, and the congregational leaders are described as shepherding their flock. It's offering spiritual oversight, but they, but they do so as under-shepherds to Jesus, the chief shepherd. A long time ago, I there was, I was in a Bible study. guy was talking about, you know, that there's the shepherds. It's the pastors. It's the elders, and that those who serve with those people would be like sheepdogs. You know, like when you're out on the thing, you see those little dogs running around. You know, well that would be us. And so we're those little dogs that are running around trying to get the sheep kind of together because the sh- the shepherd's here. He's in one spot, and he needs those little sheepdogs to kind of go, go run around and gather everybody up. So we're sheepdogs. You know the illustration that we're sheep, and sheep are just not really that smart but it's an excellent understanding as far as who we are in that. And we need that shepherd to be able to supply all of our needs. We need that shepherd to be able to watch over us and protect us. And sheep just don't, they just don't know any smarter. You know, there's a bear there. Okay, well, it's a new friend. You know, he's got a different color skin or something like that. Let's go make a friend. And they get eaten, you know. The same thing with us. We just, we're not that smart. And we need that shepherd to be able to come along and to protect us and supply our needs. You know, Psalm 23, read that tonight. Peter asked them to watch over them and watch over their church. It's not in a have to, but it's, it's a get to. We don't have to. They don't have to do this. They, they get to do this. There's something about when you're an elder or you're somebody in leadership that it's, it's, it's not something that you just, you feel like, ah, oh, I gotta go do this now or I gotta go teach this. It's, it's I get to. And it's hard at times. I'll speak for those pastors and elders that are not up here. It's hard because, unfortunately, you, as much as you love the sheep and as much as you care for the sheep, unfortunately, you find out all the stuff of the sheep. And it makes it difficult at times. I mean, you care for them and you love them and you want them to, to be able to see who Christ is and what he's doing in their life. And they, they sit there and they struggle with that because too because they find out all the other stuff and you're just like, can you just, just get it? The Lord loves you. The Lord has a plan for your life. It's not because they have to do it, it's that they get to do it. They want to do it. He reminds them again, not pursuing dishonest gain. We saw this in, the, in Titus, what we just read. It's called shamefully greedy, is the dishonest gain here. It's, and, and again, unfortunately, we see this in so many churches today, but it, it shows the purity of their relationship with the Lord. That if you have a desire not to have dishonest gain that you're trying to steal from the church, it just shows the the sincerity of your relationship with the Lord too, that you're just continuing to trust in him and you're continuing to know that he's going to provide your needs. But, he says, and again, we're changing directions here, be eager to serve. They're they're, they're eager to serve. There's a willingness that's there. It's it's a desire that, that, again, that you want to do it. He's telling these elders like, that this is, this is exactly what you've been made for. This is what I've designed you for. What the Lord has designed you for is that you get to go in there and you have a desire to do stuff that, that nobody else wants to do. You're, you're willing to roll your sleeves up and you're willing to get dirty into different things in life right? because, because you just care for people. And ultimately, I, just, I care for the Lord and I care for God. And I just want people to understand and I want people to see that. Some of you kind of know my, my testimony recently is About two or three years ago, um, I I have a business for two more months, I think it is. But I have a business, and just was sitting there, and I've struggled for probably 15 years at this point of just knowing that I wanted to be in the ministry, knowing that I wanted to be in the ministry, you know. But I have this business, and and it just is like an anchor, (laughs) and you can't like get pull up the anchor. It's just it's stuck, you know. Um, Came out of COVID, and actually we were fine at the time, and I just looked at my sister in law one day, and she's my business partner, and it's like, hey, do you just want to? Find a way to close this thing down, you know? And she just started crying. She's like, yes, I, I, I want out as well, too. And so for the last two and a half years, three years, we've been in the process of doing that. It's a long story that we don't have. It take till tomorrow to figure all that stuff out for you guys. But we just, we just started the process. And we just started moving forward. And then about eight months ago or so, the, I didn't know where I was going to be in ministry. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. And... Um, Quite honestly, just amazing that the Lord just gave me peace through the entire time. Stay focused on the job that you have, I'll take the rest. Take focus. Stay focused on the job that you have, I'll take care of the rest. Everybody's like, Where are you going to go? I'm like, I don't know. That's the Lord's decision, it's not mine. About eight months ago last summer, the school approached me to be a principal here, and I was like, Whatever. Like, that's not happening, you know? Um, <laughs> okay. So then he kept asking, and I was like, All right, I'll pray about it. And am like, You know, okay, I'll pray. Faith, thanks. And, um, so I want to respect for faith. so I'm like, all right, I'll pray. And so then the Lord was just, I like, showed me. I don't know if it was the Lord or my flesh. So I was like, I have the same like schedule. My wife's a teacher. was like I have the same schedule as my wife. I'm like, this is pretty awesome. Like, let me really start thinking about this thing. And and it just was really neat that then the Lord put a desire on my heart to do it. Where I thought quite, a, I thought there would be another place that I would be end up going to to serve in the ministry. Um, he opened up the door and it was like, this is this is a great fit. This is awesome. And then he just puts that desire then in your heart to do something that you're like, what in the world? You know, so then you get to go to work and you're just thrilled that you get to go and clean up the boy's bathroom, you know, from them going to the bathroom that day. And you're like, yes, I get to go to work today. This is great. You know, this is wonderful. So like all my kids don't do that anymore. They're all grown up and gone. And I'm like, I still get to do this. This is wonderful. And um, so it's, it's really neat, you know, and then you just, there's other things obviously on top of that, but it's, But again, the Lord puts a desire in your heart that you get to serve him and you get to do stuff. And it's not that I have to show up to work anymore. It's, man, I can't wait to go to work the next day to do this. I can't wait to go to work the next day to see this person or this kid or be able to pour into this kid's life or our teacher's lives. And then you get to be able to minister the way that you've always felt that you were designed to do. And that's the cool thing. So as you continue to, to work in your life and you can get stuck into the point where, again, going back to the very beginning of where Peter was, you can either get stuck where you're at or you can take a chance and go, you know what, I know the Lord has called me to do something. Now, again, it doesn't have to be ministry. That's not the end all. Like, we need wonderful Christian businessmen and we need wonderful Christian moms and dads and, 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 and Christian women that are in business and, and in and education and all these things. We need, we, need, we need everybody everywhere. You're in ministry wherever that you're at. Allow the Lord to be the one that puts that desire in your heart and then continue to walk into it. And not knowing exactly where that destination is going to lead, but to be open to where God wants you to be. The next thing he asks them to do is, is don't, don't be lording over them. Okay, yeah, that should be obvious, right? Not to lord over people. I mean, your Pastor Carl shouldn't come in here and just be like, whipping the, the, the whip at everybody. And the elders shouldn't be like doing the same thing. You guys aren't serving enough and, and whipping the sheepdogs and stuff. I mean, that should, shouldn't happen. It's not, that's not their position to do that. The best illustration I've always seen is that, you know, the corporate ladder always, it's, you know, the president's up here and all the other people are down here and it goes down this way. In in the church, it's actually the opposite way. You know, the the leader's actually on the bottom. Why? Because they do the work. You know, the the word actually for deacon is actually servant. Did you guys know that? I mean, they they get to serve the church. I mean, so yeah, you might have a little deacon badge someday and, and that might be really cool, but... It just means you're just a server. Like, that's all that it means. It's not lording over, but eager to serve. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 20. He says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's talking, I think it's to the Pharisees at the time. He says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, that's the call as a Christian, is that we, we get to serve. It doesn't matter if you have a title, whether you're an elder one day or you're a pastor one day or you're a team leader one day. The fact is that we all get to serve joyfully. We get to. Why? Because ultimately we're giving it back to the Lord and we're just giving the opportunity to give incense back to him. And so, again, then he asked them to be examples. It's, it's a model. It's to be imitated. Again, their, their requirement, but really it's for all of us, is to be an example in your life. I mean, do people look at your life and they see that and they go, man, that's, that's what a Christian is like. I, I, I want to be like you. That's awesome, the way that you just, you just help other people, and you, you serve other people, and you do it with a good attitude, and there's no grumbling like we talked about last week, you know, when you're hospitable, and, and you, you love your wife, and you love your kids, and, and man, sign me up. Like, who, who does that kind of stuff? That should be all of us. Shouldn't just be an elder. I mean, they, they have to have that. That would make obvious sense, right? But again, shouldn't that be all of us? Shouldn't we live as such examples that other people are automatically just drawn to Christ because of what the Holy Spirit is doing through your life and that he continues to touch their lives? What's the reward for this? Verse 4 it says, And when the chief shepherd, talking about Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And who is the chief shepherd? By the way, it's the only time that's used in the New Testament is, well, it's just Jesus. John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's our good shepherd. He is the shepherd. And and we're just again the sheepdogs that come along and be able to, to round up the sheep that, that are out there and we be able, able to work alongside of him and, and to be able to perform the duties that he's called us to do. So he says he moves on, he says, who who appears, and when Christ is, is visibly when he returns, Colossians 3.4 says, when Christ, who is your, who is your or our life, life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When he comes back, you will receive, which means to obtain as a, a type of compensation, the crown of glory that will never fade. Again, when, when the horns blow and, and Christ comes back and, and, and all of a sudden we get to see that and, and the glory of him is there, we get to partake in that. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, um, kind of like past it before he left to go to his, run his marathon. And, and they do it in, in, to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The, the crown that we're going to receive, again, remember we talked about it in, in chapter one, is stuff that will not fade away, it will not, it will not melt away. That this crown that we receive will be everlasting. And it's not an actual crown at times because you, it's just the fact that we get to receive salvation from him and we get to walk into the presence of what heaven is. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, of righteousness, nothing that we deserved, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. And so again, as we sit there, and again, it's not just the elders that I was talking about before, it's, it's all of us as we sit there and we wait for that veil to open up, and Christ comes out and he's on the scene, and it's finally we are there, our living hope. And finally, we get to leave this this world and and the problems that we're having and the sin that we see around us and and this hope that we've been waiting for, for for Christ to come back and to be able to spend eternity in heaven actually happens. It's that righteousness that we do not deserve, not a single one of us, but it's through Christ's blood that we are righteous Peter moves on into verse five, and now he talks to the the church. He says, In the same way, so with the same heart, with the same attitude as, as the elders, he moves into, You who are younger, submit yourselves to our elders, your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So, you who are younger, and so this is kind of a contrast between what the elders we were talking about before, so now you who are younger, and so, and we'll see that he's kind of talking talking to younger men at the time, but you'll see in a little bit, too, that he's also talking to the church in general. But, but more importantly, it's just the, the contrast between the two. He says, for you guys to clothe yourselves in humility. And a neat description of the, of the word clothe, um, it, it's, it describes a, a piece of clothing that you would tie around your, yourself. And so at that time, t- slaves would do that, too. They would, they would tie like a, 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 something around their waist or around their body, to, and, and p- tie it in a knot to be able to signify that they were slaves and they were not free men at the time. And so that everybody would know that, hey, look, this is somebody who's a slave. This is somebody who's working. And so what he's saying is he's to tie on this humility. Make it, just make it noticeable that you're doing that. It came to me before, too, is John, I think it's John 13. You know, Jesus, when he's, he's washing the, the disciples' feet, the same thing. He tied on an apron around him before he went to go to do the servant's work. Again, it's, it's an action that you have to purpose to do. Humility is not something that just comes naturally. It's not that you're, because typically if you're humility, you're letting everybody know, then you're just prideful, and then it just starts to vicious all over again. But tie that on, and Peter's using this illustration so that, so that the humility is so that everybody would see what you're doing, that it's noticeable. I have a personal problem with arrogance in my life, um, and I know that there's a difference between confidence and, and arrogance, but a lot of time there's just a fine line between that. And so I would say, Christian, just just kind of watch that, too. I like confidence, and I like, again, like we talked about at the beginning, Peter, very confident person, going to go ahead and go do stuff like that and and get out there, but kind of watch to make sure that the arrogance in your life doesn't come along the wrong way that you think is confidence. Well, Why do we do this? Old Testament quote again from Peter, like the guy had his own little um, parchment papers over there or something, but it's Proverbs 3. Three and four, says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Again, just a fisherman that was looked down upon. And Peter just continues to quote Old Testament scriptures. It's pretty incredible um, from this man. In verse six, he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Probably have that in scripture in your house. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Responsibility is, is to humble yourselves. Again, it's the ultimate submission to God. Humble yourselves. It's, it's to submit to God's perfect plan. It's, it's to be dependent on him in everything that you do. Again, as we've talked about submitting to authorities and then ultimately submitting to God, are you willing and able to do that? Again, we talked earlier that he will not leave you or forsake you. So again, as you take those chances, as you're humble before the Lord, are you willing to do that knowing that my God is there for me no matter what? He'll lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety or your cares upon him because he cares for you. So when Peter is saying this, he's, he's thinking of what we had just talked about, too, is just that God will be there for you. God will lift you up. So again, as I, as I cast my anxiety upon him, upon God, because he cares for me, the cast here is, is to throw. It's, it's an action. I mean, you, have, you physically have to do it. No, it's not a new doctrine that we're writing here. Like, I'm tossing my care to you, Lord. It's not that. It's, it's the fact that you physically have to do it, not physically, but mentally and, and through prayer. You have to be giving these things over to the Lord. He didn't say just drop it here or just shrug it off to the Lord. He says you actively have to be able to give it to the Lord for then him to take it. And these cares are your worries. And, it's, and how do you do this? Well, it's, 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 it's by prayer. It's, it's by talking to the Lord about the things that are happening in your life. It's, it's your thoughts of that, that you're not good enough. It's the thoughts of your finances that are going on in your life or no finances. It's the problems at work that you're having or problems at home that you're having. It's a problem of you worrying about the future, what, what is going to be able to happen with any of myself or my kids or, or my country or, or the things that are just going on in your mind consistently where at, at night at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning you can't sleep because you have woken up and now your mind's going 100 miles an hour. Christian, you fill in the blank of whatever that is for you. And I would encourage you to then cast those to the Lord. And to be transparent, it was years ago, I was talking to Christine that you know, just problems in business and all. And I was just like, man, I just, I I, sincerely, (laughs) I'm giving it to the Lord. Like, I'm not trying to pick, you know, some people say... Lay it to the Lord, and then too many times you then pick it up and you walk away with it. Um, I'm like, I am not doing that. I promise you. I am like, Lord, I don't want it. Like, I'm, you know, get, don't have sticky fingers here, nothing like that. I don't want it back. And it just felt like I just continue to, to worry about those things and just nervous in life. And I, I just, that's not typically who I am as a person, anyways. But I was like, oh my goodness. But it's just, again, it's, it's just being consistent of going back to the Lord, having Him keep those thoughts captive laying it at the cross and allowing him to be the one that deals with that. Why as Christians do we do that? Because the most powerful, loving individual in the universe cares for you. You're the apple of his eye. I mean, he, he created you to do you. He knows everything about you. The hairs on your head and and the things that you're going through in your life and, and the deep recesses of your mind and your heart and the things that you struggle with and things that you're excited about that nobody else knows, and, and he cares for you. Nobody else loves you like that. The cares is is to have a concern for, it's it's to have regard for. So, Christian, so if you sit up at night and by yourself or you're even here today and you're surrounded by people and you feel like nobody cares, well that's not true. First of all, there's a whole bunch of people in this room that care about you. But more importantly, the God in heaven cares for you. Why? Because the scripture says so. And he doesn't lie. Psalm ninety-four nineteen it says in the New Living Translation, When doubts or anxiety filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Crawl into his lap and just allow just the comfort of who the Lord is in your life just to be able to wash upon you and wash out those things that are going on in your life. And again, it doesn't mean that you're irresponsible and you just walk away from those things and you don't meet your responsibilities that you have in life or, oh, this is too hard for me, I'm just going to move away from it. Because, no, you, you, you still have to deal with things in life. But it's the anxiousness that you don't have to deal with and it's the struggles inside of you that you don't have to deal with. I mean, take care of the responsibility that you have, but don't be anxious and nervous and worrisome about it. That's not what he's calling you to do. It continues and says, be alert and sober mind. He spoke of this of last week too in 1 Peter 4, 7. It says to be clear minded in a state of watchfulness. Be alert and sober minded. Again, it's being alert and understanding of the things that are going on. Sober means, again, not to be under uh influence of things that you shouldn't be as far as alcohol or drugs or anything else that you can imagine in there. And, and, and sober minded, it means just, just to have a watchfulness of the things that are going on around you. Again, like I said last week, it's, it's amazing how much that you will just be able to see ministry opportunities the more that you look around and you just notice people that are around you. You notice a person that's just struggling at, at publix, or the person at Target, or the person that's down the street from you, or the person that's walking their dog, or, or the family member or the coworker that you have, if you're just out of yourself and having heavenly-minded eyes to be able to notice a thing that are going around and around you. And then more importantly, are you willing to then ask a question? Make a statement. Not in a judging way, not in a, not an argumentative way of just sometimes people just need to know that somebody cares about them. Are you willing to be that person? Are you willing to be sober-minded and, and vigilant and, and looking around? Because ultimately, it's just the Lord's work that we're trying to do. Well, why do we do this? Well, because the devil, the devil is the accuser. He's the slanderer. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He, Satan, is, he, he turns truths into lies. Jesus said in John eight forty four, 44, For you are the children of your father, again, talking to the Pharisees, I believe it is, the, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has always hated the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? And that's what the enemy does. He takes those truths of what, of what we know is the truth as far as what the Bible says, and he tries to twist those into something that it's not. He tries to pervert the Bible in, into making you think that it's not true or that the Lord is not actually going to be there for you. And did he really say this? Do you remember Satan talking to Jesus? Did, did God really say this? or it was to Adam and Eve, but, but to Jesus, he also sat there and he, he, he tried to use parts of what scripture was and tried to pervert it so that Jesus would be tempted. And Jesus said, no, that's, that's not what it is. Peter encourages them to resist him and stand firm in the faith. It's to resist, it's to oppose, it's to set oneself against. James said in James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Christian, you get in trouble when you engage with him and allow him your thoughts to go to places that they should not be. When you engage those thoughts, when you engage the enemy, that you're allowing yourself to be in a position that you should not be in. When those thoughts come in your mind of, hey, let's go look at this site, or hey, let's go, I can just go hang with my friends or go to this bar, or I can go do this. And, and you're allowing yourself to go down roads that you should not be able to, you should not be going down. Christian, you have to resist that. You have to be able to make sure that there are standards within my life and that I'm going to be able to continue to hold and I'm, I'm going to be holy and I'm going to live a life that, that is, is, is unable to be grasped by somebody to say that I did something. And, and are you willing to make those decisions in your life? I talked about it last week. There's friends that I just don't have anymore because, again, not because I chose it. And maybe our lives just separated naturally as well too, because I was into the Lord and they were not. And and we just had different desires and different directions within our life. But are you willing to make those choices in your life to where I'm willing to sacrifice this because I know that the Lord is more important than this five seconds of pleasure or this night of fun? Are, Are you willing to do that? Because as the enemy, he sits there and he, he, he tempts you and he, he helps you to go down roads and down directions that you shouldn't be going because all that that's going to lead to is destruction. If you're a man and you entertain, you know, another woman flirting with you and all of a sudden now you have an affair, well, now I've, I've, I've ruined my marriage. The same thing for a woman. A, a guy comes up to you and says something to you and all of a sudden now you're down a road. Or maybe you've struggled with alcohol in the past and you're like, well, I can just go out with the people at the, at the office. Just one, it's just one time. Just one beer. Again, that's how it starts. You know, the enemy is not—he's not, not going to full-on come out and tell you exactly this is what my my plan is. You have to resist the enemy, and the Bible says that he will flee from you. Come back with scripture. Come back with some information of, of what the Lord has got in your life, and be able to, to be able to do battle with him with, with the Word of God. But Christian, it gets back to you making that decision of, do I really want the Lord more than what I want in that moment? Jesus warned Peter that that he, Jesus, was praying for him at one night because Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. You remember that? Oh, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But don't worry, I've prayed for you. Stand firm. Put on your armor, Christian. We talked about that last week as well, too. Don't ever take your armor off. Keep it on. Be ready at all times because you don't know when the enemy is going to come at you. You have to be prepared and you've got to have that armor on you. You've got to be ready for, for any attack that's going to be able to happen. And ultimately, because believers everywhere are suffering. Many times we like to think that it's just us. Woe is me. I'm just going through the hardest time that you could massively imagine. And my life is just so hard. And, and I'm not saying that your life probably is hard. you could be going through a very hard time right now. But it's not just you. There, there are Christians all over the world right now that are, that are dying for their faith, that are martyrs. I think that the new statistic is more people have died in just this century than ever before for Christ. This century, like we're 22, 23 years into it. Martyrs for Jesus Christ in this day and age. Well, that can't be true, Kevin. And CNN, Fox, they would cover that, right? No, not at all. Christian, it's not just you and it's not just me. We're all going through difficult struggles in life. But then that's the beautiful thing of, again, why we talk about church and, and coming to church and why we need to have each other so that um, today at school, just taking an opportunity to lift up a couple of teachers that are just going through a hard time. And we as staff and teachers just sat there underneath outside and just and just prayed for them. Why? Because I, I want to be able to hold on some of that burden for them, to be able to help them to walk through the struggle they're going through. Why? Because I love them. And I want them to be able to, to be able to go to the next step. And I know easily that they would do that same thing for me. And as we continue to lock arms together, we become stronger because we're all going in the same direction. We have the same God and the same person who loves us and cares for us. And, and if we do that and we 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 do that and we, we resist the enemy and we we come to him and we 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 in the power of God of just being able to, to walk this life together. That's what church is for. So we get in this room tonight and you're sitting here and you're like, man, it's it's just me, it's not just you if there are cares and there are struggles that you're going through in your life right now, again, don't leave the church with those same struggles. Allow us to come alongside of you. Allow us to lock arms with you and to pray for you and to lift you up before the Lord and and to help you to be able to walk through those times. Be awake, Christian. Again, be mindful of the things that are going on around you and, and be praying for each other. Two things that I would recommend, I, I can't recommend enough is please make sure you're in your word every single day and please be praying every single day. And not just the me prayer, but, but the everyone prayer. Be praying for others and lifting them up and be taking them before the Lord. Verse 10, he moves on, he says, In the, in the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And the God of grace, it's, it's getting what we don't deserve, who called you. Again, remember, we're elected. We were elected by him. And again, it's nothing that we did. To his eternal glory in Christ, our, our living hope, After you have suffered a little while, Peter has all but promised that all of us will suffer in life. Will himself restore, mend you, and make you strong? He'll confirm you, firm, he'll strengthen you, and steadfast, he'll establish you. That's the promise that God has given us. Again, as you continue to walk your life and, and you continue to move forward in it, that it's, it's in the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. I'm telling you, it's coming. Christian, tonight it's coming. If you're like, man, I've never suffered before. It, you're overdue. It's going to happen, okay? He'll restore, he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The Lord is just going to strengthen you and to make you ready through those trials. And to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And it's not a point where Peter's saying to him be the power. Like, hey, I'm going to give God power. You know, it's, it's the strength to do all things. It's the fact that God has the power to do all things. Remember, God spoke and all of creation happened. He didn't have a workshop. He didn't sit there and try to whittle things out and try to make things happen. And, and all that kind of stuff and wait for permits and, and for general contractors to get back to him or anything like that. All God did was speak and everything was in existence. That's the strength that he has. Move on into verse 12, and it's the final kind of goodbyes that that he says here. And with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. Silas is is, is Silvanus. Um, It's the same person who accompanied Paul and Timothy. Um, He's a faithful brother. Can I just say that, that we all need faithful brothers in life. You need somebody that you can just share those things that you're going through in life. That are not immediately going to come to you and say, well, this is the three points that you need to do to be able to correct your problem. I, so, you know, I don't need that all the time. Sometimes I just need somebody who's a faithful brother that I can kind of just get things off my chest. I know the scripture verse. <laughs> I know what I need to do. I'm just telling you what I want to do. And I already know it's wrong. I'm just kind of getting off my chest. I can let you know that. Do do you have somebody like that? And then do you have somebody that at times when you start going and doing those things that you're not supposed to be doing, be like, hey, you you need to come back. I need to tell you that verse that that you said you knew. (laughs) Christians, we need somebody that's faithful, that's with us, that as we walk those things in life, that is there with us. It might be somebody that you only talk to once every six months, every year, something like that. But Christian, you have to have that person that you can come alongside with and be able to do the things of Christ with, that is like-minded, that is on the same page, has the same commitment level. Whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who was in Babylon, Babylon is actually probably like a synonym for Rome at the time. He used this as a a kind of like a a code for Rome because, um, again, as we talked about earlier, just the persecution that was coming from the ruler that they had at the time. So he didn't want anybody to know exactly where he was at when he wrote this. Chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Again, no kissing tonight. That was just a greeting at the time, okay? If you come up trying to kiss me at the end of the night, other than my wife, we're going to have issues. A handshake will do or a fist bump, either one. Greet one another with a kiss of love and peace to all of you who are in Christ. So again, Christian, I, I hope that you've been encouraged and I hope that you've been challenged in your walk over the last couple months. My biggest desire is that as a church that we would be empowered to do the gospel. As a church that we would be empowered to not just have the ideas of the things that we want to have, but again to have spiritual understanding and have heavenly purpose within the things that we do within our life. It's so easy these days to be able to, to get caught up in the news or get caught up on, you know, the inflation or get caught up on all these other things that can kind of cloud in on your understanding of what you're to do. But to truly have an understanding of having a heavenly purpose because, again, people are going to go to hell. And hell is a real place. And then it's our job that we get to. Again, it's not that we have to. It's the attitude that we get to come alongside. We get to go and make disciples of all nations. We get to baptize them. We get to come alongside it. We just, I just saw on Instagram, um, I wish he was here tonight, he doesn't come on Wednesdays, but had an old customer of mine and had him told him about the church. He came, got baptized this weekend. I saw, I was like, what? And I missed it. And I was like, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it. But we get to experience those moments in life where you are coming alongside somebody and helping them. And Christian, that's what it's about. And that's, that's the heart of Peter, of, of looking at it and say, yes, I could stop here, and, and I could have been nobody. I could have been just the butt of every joke in the Christian church. But what, what did Peter do? Peter continued to walk with the Lord and strongly with the Lord. I mean, a man that is, is, is incredible and doesn't get enough credit, as much credit as he gets. The things that Peter did for the Lord are just incredible. But it's taking a chance. Christian, tomorrow, tonight, are you willing to take that chance? Are you willing to find out what is it the Lord wants to do in my life? And are you willing to go and to do it because you have a heavenly perspective on the things that are going on? Amen. Father God, I thank you again incredibly for just the opportunity to to be able to teach your word and to be able to study your word and to be used by you in any way, Father. I pray for this church and um, this Wednesday night crew that, Lord, that they would not leave here tonight the same as that they walked in. Not because of any words that as Kevin has said this evening or but, God, because you've touched their heart and you've, you've challenged them on things. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that is just going through a hard time and needs prayer. And Lord, I pray that they would stay and that they would receive the prayer. And maybe there's somebody here tonight that, that doesn't have a relationship with you. That Lord wants, wants to have that, wants to have an understanding of who you are and wants to know what that hope is that, that we have. Lord, I pray that person doesn't leave tonight as well. I know that you desire them not to leave this tonight with that as well. And for the rest of us, Lord, that, that our believers, and maybe we're the sheepdog, or maybe we're the elder that's here tonight, that, that God, again, God, that we're willing to invest in other people. And again, it's, it's not for us, and it's not that we would get the glory, but ultimately, Lord, that you would get the glory. And just to be used by you, that you would be willing to use us, Lord. And that is the greatest gift that we have. And we ask this in your name, amen.